the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. It's time now for a smart plain talk regarding politics, Israel, and the law. This is the Victory Hour with Andrew Parker of Parker Daniels Keyboard. Wise counsel, winning results. Now, here's your host, Andrew Parker. I'm impressed with my attorney, Bernie. I'm impressed with his influential friends. He's got very big connections, and I follow his directions. Bernie knows his way around. It's Sunday, 4 o'clock, and that means it's the best hour in radio of the week. It is the Victory Hour. I'm Andrew Parker, and I say thank you for joining us once again for this, well, very special edition of the Victory Hour. As it is our seven-year anniversary show. Yes, indeed. And boy, do we have a special show for you today. That's right. Seven years ago, I believe it was two Sundays before the first Sunday of the State Fair that particular year, was the inaugural Parker Rosen Hour, which was the predecessor to the Victory Hour, a couple of other iterations in between. But you knew it well as the Parker Rosen Hour, uh, as uh, Danny Rosen, my longtime friend at the time, law partner, and uh, brother-in-arms for all things good, joined me and I joined him as we guest ho- or we uh, co-hosted uh, the Parker Rosen Hour. That's right, seven years ago, How Time Flies. We're going to talk with Danny on the show today for the entire hour and regale about what has happened in this country with politics, Israel, and the law as we talk about it each week. What has happened over the past seven years. And boy, it is remarkable. I I think you will, some things you will certainly remember, other things you won't. You might be astonished uh, to recall certain things that occurred seven years ago. And just to give you an example of this, in August of 2016, Back when the Parker Rosenauer first launched, uh, it was during this particular week. Actually, it might have been a week later. Colin Kaepernick took a knee during the national anthem during a preseason game. Yes, indeed. And some might argue that it launched the woke movement in this country. Now, others would argue, nah, it's not even a part of the woke movement. 
And others might say, ah, the woke movement had been going on for years and years before. But either way, many of us, I would dare say anybody listening to this show, recalls that event and the reverberations that occurred resulting from it far beyond the American flag-related issue. It, it kind of seeped into a whole range of attitudes in the United States. Yeah, that was seven years ago. Uh, I want to bring in now my guest host for the show today, my good friend and perhaps the greatest lawyer I have ever seen work, Mr. Daniel Rosen. Danny, thanks for joining us once again on the Victory Hour. It's good to be back, Andy. It's, uh, it's, it's, it is, uh, brings back lots of good memories. Good memories of uh, what I thought was, in fact, for those seven months, the finest radio show in the history of radio. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And he speaks of what he knows. Those seven months of the Parker Rosen Hour, we had some great guests on uh, each almost uh, every week. And uh, we talked about the issues of the day, but consistent with the Victory Hour, Politics, Israel, and the law. You know, Danny and I uh, had the law firm Parker Rosen since 2005, and it ran all the way through until uh, the end of March 2017. So in August of 2016, we were longtime law partners, Uh, We got along fabulously throughout our partnership and and before and certainly uh, since as well. Uh, When uh, we decided we had run our course as partners, it was one of the most loving of separations that you'll ever see of any law firm anywhere. And we continue to be like brothers. Danny, uh, you know, I want to talk today about things dating back and where we sit today compared to where we were uh, back seven years ago. Uh, But one of the things that I recall, and I'm sure that you do, it was more like eight years ago, nearly eight years ago, but it was leading into our first show, uh, was the presidential campaign leading to the 2016 election. And it was such a remarkable campaign, if you think about it, and what happens and what was going on in politics, uh, historic, really, in many ways. Uh, There were, what, 16, 17 candidates for the Republican nomination. And one of the moments that I remember from back then, and I think it was in 2015, toward the end of 2015, uh, was the presidential debate that you and I drove to from Minneapolis to Milwaukee. Can you recount a bit of that for us? 
You know, Andy, it was a remarkable experience. If you remember, there were so many candidates that they had to have two debates. They had a debate uh, of the undercard, and then they had the debate of the people that were considered to be uh, more of the top-tier candidates. And uh, to tell you how personalities change over seven years, I remember the star of the undercard being the governor of Louisiana, Bobby Jindal. And uh, came out there, was punching, was glib, was uh, all of the things you might want in a candidate. It was impressive to people. And, of course, we never heard another word from him. <laughs> and then, uh, and then the, the main event came. Uh, and what we really saw was the beginnings of what we've been inundated with now for seven years. And we saw how Donald Trump uh, acts on a stage uh, together with all of the others. And it was it was really a remarkable event. He uh, showed that from the moment he appears in the room, uh, he is a personality so large as to completely dominate the space, whether he is talking or he is not talking. Uh, and it, of course, wasn't hard to see how uh, he was able to just steamroller uh, his way toward a nomination. You know, Andy, when you were recalling the Colin Kaepernick knee in August of 2016, I started thinking what else happened in August of 2016. And I would say uh, that, uh, first of all, the, the, the Kaepernick event, I think, was a watershed in the woke movement, whether it was the beginning of it or the launching, it certainly was a watershed. But uh, by far the bigger watershed in American politics that month was the collective act of, of utter insanity by the party that you and I have, our strong, have, have a strong affinity for, by the Republicans, in nominating Donald Trump for president. And I think with seven years, we can not only look back and call it an act of utter insanity, but also it was uh, the slow pulling of a trigger on a gun pointed uh, uh, where the, with, with a gun uh, uh, pointed right back at the party's own head. And uh, uh, in, I, in my view, it's an act of partisan suicide. We just haven't seen uh, we just haven't seen the death yet. Well, it's you know, it's it's one of the uh, things that I am referring to when I talk about the remarkable nature of politics seven years ago at this particular time. Uh, and we definitely are going to talk about the August 2016 Republican convention and the coronation of Donald J. Trump and what it has meant for the Republican Party, what it has meant for politics in the United States, what it has meant for our country uh, writ large. Uh, when we come back from this uh, short break, uh, I'm going to remind us all of what led to the Republican nomination. We started by talking about that Milwaukee debate, and Danny and I will uh, uh, comment on our thoughts of that debate. I remember our comments to one another as we were going to the debate and then as we were returning from it and what our predictions were. Make sure to stay with us. It's going to be an interesting show. Seven years. 
How Time Flies. And I thank you very much for those who have been with us for all those seven years. And there are several as we get fan mail, email uh, each week from longtime listeners. But we also uh, say thank you to the newcomers. We'll be right back after this short break. Go to ParkerDK.com. Premier Law Firm, downtown Minneapolis. We litigate wise counsel winning results. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Hello, hello. We're back. It's the victory hour. Four to five every Sunday, twelve eighty a.m. The Patriot or Patriot or pick us up on podcast. Yeah, you go to your app. That little you, you just click on it. The podcast app. Put in my name, Andrew Parker. The Andrew Parker podcast. It's out there. Three hundred plus episodes. Oh, the wisdom, the wisdom of it all, and to think that I learned it all from Daniel Rosen. Well, he joins us today. We don't agree on everything, however. He uh, he assails Donald Trump, and I have to say that I had a different perspective uh, than him. I, I don't, as you all know from my comments over the last many months, uh, I don't believe that uh, he is good for this country uh, as we proceed. Uh, I, of course, don't think Joe Biden is either. And quite frankly, can't we do better? I mean, come on. It's ridiculous. Uh, here's what I want to comment on, though. I want to remind you of August. By the uh, way, apparently not, Andy, is the question, <laughs> yeah. is the answer to your question. Yeah, it looks like we can't. It's just unbelievable. I want to remind us uh, back to August of 2016 and before that, the many months before that, the uh, 2016 presidential campaign. So on the Republican side, Danny and I have commented about the 16, 17 uh, candidates who had gotten into that race. And I mean, just wild, Uh, but a a pretty good bench. Uh, Jeb Bush, Chris Christie, Lindsey Graham, Ben Carson, Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, Marco Rubio, member Carly Fiorina, She was in there. Uh, Huckabee, Santorum, Perry, John Kasich. John Kasich. We got to talk about John Kasich, Danny. Bobby Jindal. Why? Why do we have to talk about John Kasich? (laughs) Because he made it to near the end. He made it to the end. It's unbelievable. And that all by itself was far more talking about John Kasich that's ever necessary. (laughs) All right, Bobby Jindal, who you mentioned, Scott Walker, who was in for about a minute and a half, uh, Jim Gilmore, who did far better than anybody ever could have expected. I still don't know who he is. And George Pataki, he was in for, you know, a half a minute, not even a minute and a half. But they were all there. And so we go down to Milwaukee and we're saying, you know, there's no way. I mean, the the... The, the polls, the media, they were trying to build up Trump. Remember that? It was like sweetheart Trump. 
Everything was great because they're trying to build him up so he actually might get this nomination, which would, you know, then they can trash him, which, of course, they did. But we're driving down there and we're going, oh, come on, you know, Jeb Bush, you know, Marco Rubio, we we we, we liked him. Uh, see how Chris Christie was going to do on the stage. Uh, and we attend the debate. We complete the debate. We look at each other. What did we say? Oh, uh, we said Donald Trump is going to win. Yes, we did. Uh, we also were commenting that, uh, that uh, you know, it was early in the race. And the one thing that we could see is that over the course of the summer and fall of his time in the race, he uh, had uh, adapted to his role as a candidate and was becoming uh, more effective in, in at, at, at being Donald Trump the candidate uh, than he was when he first started. And that if he continues at that rate to uh, perfect his unique way of being a candidate, there he, he was definitely going to win that nomination. Yeah, and, and it was incredible to see because we both went in going, this is crazy. I mean, think about it. Sitting here today, think about it. But back then, think about it. This guy, there's no way he could be president of the United States. Oh, we were, you you and I were laughing yeah. about it. It was a, a lot. Uh, the, the whole notion of it seemed outrageous. That was November of 2015. Yep. And here we are in August of 2017. And uh, as usual, you and I were proven right. It, it in fact, was outrageous. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It it was outrageous. You, uh, you know, out there, we've got a lot of listeners who love Donald Trump. They continue to love Donald Trump, uh, regardless of what he does or regardless of the division he creates, quite frankly, the animosity that he creates, the energy. If you just talk about energy levels and not about things we can touch and feel and the energy that he creates in the country. And a lot of it, you know, most of it is his doing. But he also becomes a tool, I believe, of what other politicians and certainly the media want to create. And so he gives them, I mean, he's he's the perfect weapon for them to create this polarization, this division, uh, this tearing down, uh, and he gives them such fodder to do it. Uh, you know, and it's a shame. I think Danny and I agree that if you take all of that away, uh, there are many policies of, of Donald Trump that are sound and that the Republican Party can pick up and carry. You know, look, well, first of all, uh, policies uh, are important, but policies come and go. Uh, the institutions of our country uh, are, uh, frankly, more important than any individual policy. Yes, individual policies can impair the the health of the institutions of the country, but we're at a point right now, uh, I believe, where uh, where uh, institutions are endangered. Now, I have profound respect for uh, every American and the the choice that they make uh, in who it is that they want to have as their leader. And I believe that people make these choices 
based on the things that are most important in their lives. And uh, because of that, uh, their decisions uh, need to be respected. But I want to suggest, not but, and, I want to suggest to every listener who is a supporter of Donald Trump, I want them to consider something that maybe they haven't considered before. Not just in a democracy, but in any form of government, uh, leaders are not only responsible for the actions that they take, but they are, in fact, responsible for the backlash against them, Uh, particularly when the backlash against them is foreseeable. You know, you and I, Andy, make our livings in the law. We make our livings in, 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 in cases in which we say, you know, this person caused this other person damage. You should pay him money because what he did, it was foreseeable that it would cause the damage, that it would lead to the results uh, that, it, that it led to. Well, you know, leaders in a country uh, are, are responsible for those foreseeable results. And the, the highest level of leadership, uh, you have the greatest level of responsibility. Yes, it's true that all of the people on the left who react entirely irresponsibly and destructively uh, to, to Donald Trump, those people who just become deranged at the sound of the name Donald Trump, they also bear responsibility. This does not, this does not relieve them from any level of responsibility for their own actions, their own unreasonableness, and their own destructiveness. But, uh, but Donald Trump is not only responsible for uh, his own acts and omissions, but he is responsible for the backlash against him. And uh, we just have to move uh, away from an environment in which it is a constant, uh, uh, it's a constant uh, whipsawing of, uh, you know, this party in power just absolutely lashes out so strongly against the other. The other one comes into power, they lash out even more strongly. It's been going on. uh, It's been going on really all of my political life, which begins with Ronald Reagan, right? You know, the the Democratic reaction to him was was uh, was uh, un, unreasonable in light of the times, in my judgment at the time. And uh, you know, and when the Democrats came into power, they would uh, they lashed out, uh, and then the Republicans got their retribution against Clinton. And then when Clinton was gone, the Democrats sought their retribution against uh, Bush. And each time the vitriol became stronger, each time the, mm-hmm. the, the energy became stronger on both sides. And it just kept going back and forth and back and forth. And now it results in uh, the election of a guy like Trump and the environment in which we, we find ourselves. And, and then the responsive election of a guy like Biden and the environment in which we find ourselves in today. You know, uh, uh, I agree with a lot of uh, what you say uh, in particular. I simplify it simply by saying a key element of the office of the President of the United States is not just commander-in-chief, but as the leader of the free world, not just this country, and as a statesman. Uh, and those things... People, you know, they talk about, they bandy around about, but uh, they really are important. And when they are, uh, when there's ridicule, 
of it because it becomes a caricature, which is what Donald Trump really has become. And quite frankly, Joe Biden is as well in a completely different way. It diminishes the United States, not just on the world stage, but here in this country. People know it. Uh, They're not fooled by it. Uh, It's ridiculous. It's embarrassing. And, uh, you know, it it doesn't need to be that way. Uh, Donald Trump doesn't need to be that way. That is the way he is. And so he claims, well, I've got to be me and this is me. But the harm that it does. Yeah, is so we said, don't need that me. He right. can be, you know, yeah, we, yeah. Can, we can all reject him. And, we all and, have and the that's power. the institution that you're talking about. And you're saying it's beyond policy. It's about the institution. And that has uh, that is where it has uh, reached. I think some big changes need to occur in this country. When we come back, we're going to talk more about what else was going on in uh 2016 versus today. We're going to first compare the Donald Trump we've just been talking with with today and Joe Biden. How about Joe Biden? Uh, You know, where does that sit? Is he the right man for the times? He certainly was for the Democratic Party. You know, somebody like him is ridiculous to have as the president. But for the Democratic Party at that time, there's a lot of sound reason for it crazy as it might be seen. So we'll be right back after this short break and continue our discussion with Dan Rosen, my one-time law partner and still a great friend, best of friends, like brothers we are indeed. We don't agree all the time, but boy, uh, we elevate one another's understanding. No doubt about that. We'll be right back after this short break and uh, go to parkerdk.com while we're on it. But don't go far. It's a celebratory show, indeed, our seven-year anniversary show, and who better to share it with than Dan Rosen, my co-host today on the show. Parker Rosen Hour launched seven years ago this week, and so we were comparing uh, the launch of Donald Trump to what we see in politics today. What was going on for the election of Donald Trump in 2016 compared to the election of Joe Biden then in 2020 and what we have seen from Joe Biden since? I would say this as it relates to the Republican Party. How did we get Donald Trump? Well, I'll have... uh, Danny, give his comments first. How did we get Donald Trump in the Republican Party? And how is it that Joe Biden is now the president? Well, you know, listen, how did we get Donald Trump? Uh, Because uh, we were, uh, I think, in both parties, 
it was perceived as it was the same old, same old that was getting very old uh, and dry. And uh, the Republican uh, leadership at the time uh, was uh, generally personified by people like John Boehner and Paul Ryan, who were perfectly fine individuals, but uh, who the, re- the the majority of Republicans looked at and said, you know, this may have been fine in 1994, but it's 2016 and times have changed and we can't just continue to repeat all of these same old doctrines uh, because they just aren't applying to our lives anymore. And not only that, uh, in the Republican Party, there was a very, very strong feeling uh, that the Obama administration had uh, dramatically overreached in the extensions yes. of the of the presumptions of government in our lives. Uh, and they were looking for someone who would take it to them. Uh, and it sure didn't seem that most of the usual suspects uh, that populated uh, uh, the usual personalities, we'll say, that populated 16 out of the 17 slots uh, of competitors for the nomination. Well, they didn't they didn't seem like they were going to stick it to them at all. Um, but here came Donald Trump and, uh, he was sure prepared to stick it to him. Uh, and uh, that was something that people could connect with. Uh, but, um, uh, the difference with Joe Biden, uh, you know, look, Biden, we have a complete lack of leadership because of a, an apparent lack of capacity. Uh, and accordingly, all of the segments of the, uh, of the government just sort of run on their own energy. Uh, and since they're all led uh, by people who typify uh, the type of people who get nominated to positions in the Democratic Party, which is uh, increasingly um, leftist, um, we are uh, we're getting a government that's uh, well, I mean, it could have been predicted that's going and interfering again more and more and more into uh, the lives of everyday Americans. The difference now is. Um, that the opposition to uh, that leftist drift uh, is more motivated, stronger, it's it's better organized, uh, and uh, and I and I do believe that that leftist drift is running up hard uh, against a wall that it's not going to be able to penetrate, but it's going to try. Uh, but uh, but that clash is what we're in the midst of, and it's uh, I think there's a lot of pain. Uh, that's got to happen between now and the end of the clash uh, before one side or the other comes out victorious. But I remain optimistic uh, that the that the side of freedom and uh, individual value and individual rights is going to win out. You know, I remain optimistic as well, Danny, and uh, your comments are well put. I would add, as it relates to Joe, but well, first, as it relates to Donald Trump, uh, you're right, the overreach of the Obama administration, and I want to come back to that. I want you to think about, Danny, as we shift into talking about Israel, which I want to do in a few minutes, and what is what what was going on in 2016 in Israel versus today, I want to comment about, at this time seven years ago, Barack Obama was getting ready to close down his time as uh, uh well, he, as president, and and he took some actions toward the end of his time as president uh, against the state. I you know I don't know how to say it other than uh, against the state of Israel. So I want to talk about that in in a few minutes. But uh, I want you to think about it in the meantime. 
when when uh, 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 Donald Trump uh, became president, I think it was a reaction uh, to eight years of Barack Obama, to uh, the overreach of Barack Obama, and and frankly, in an interesting sort of way, to the uh, uh, idea that Barack Obama was going to bring the country together, but what he was was commander of div- division. Uh, he, he was the king divider. His From- unification message was 100% cynical. Yeah. There was nothing honest about it. It was a pure, it was, it was purely cynicism. Including racial division that he created and could have healed especially yeah especially his message on racial unity a hundred percent cynical yeah and so then you get donald trump and the reaction is is over the top as you have pointed out uh he gave uh the tools the weapons for uh the other side to go over the top but nonetheless it was over the top uh and people, you know, when you're in the midst of tumult, uh, you can only take it for so long before you just say anything but this. And there were a lot of people that simply did that, and they ignored all of the good things, uh, you know, the the, uh, the statistics that were being put, the, the standard, the economy, the shifts, none of it mattered. Uh, and so Joe Biden arguably is a natural to come out of that and brilliant in terms of the democratic party saying we need someone who says nothing, does nothing because they're not capable of saying anything or doing anything just enough to say, okay, I'm here, you know, trot them out there and that we can actually elect that person. I mean, crazy to think they could, but you know, they sat and said, you know what? I think he can actually win. And sure enough, he did. And they might be able to do it again. They might be able to do it again. What are your thoughts on the uh, upcoming presidential quickly? Uh, Andy, very quickly, I, I, I think we don't know what the race is. I think we don't know who the candidates are going to be. Uh, there's enough, uh, d- despite uh, Trump's apparently commanding lead now, there is enough uncertainty on the horizon that it's really impossible to say right now that he will be the nominee. Um, but, um, but I think if I were, uh, uh, you know, I'd say he's, he's got about a 50, 50 chance and, uh, all of the, uh, and, and the other 50% is a who knows. Uh, but I, and the same is true on the democratic side. I think there's a bigger chance that the democratic candidate will not be Joe Biden, but, uh, just because of his apparent lack of capacity, uh, which is if nature stays true to its normal course, is going to become more and more apparent as the next year goes on. But we will see. So, And if it's not him, I don't think anybody, I, I, I wouldn't even venture a prediction as to who it'll be. But uh, what I do think is that there is a very good chance that there that this no labels organization uh, is going to have a, a candidate. Um, I think smart money would say that it's going to be Joe Manchin of West Virginia and uh, and a Republican running mate, um, and I think it'll be a very very interesting race uh, if they are in it, uh, regardless of who the other two candidates are. Uh, but uh, if the other two candidates are are Trump and uh, Biden, um, you know it's 
you know, you can never predict a third party win in an election because it's just too much of a long shot. But you, you start to consider its real possibility uh, if the country will get some level of collective sanity and say that they're going to have a normal president. Um, and, uh, uh, and it could happen. It, it could happen. I, I wouldn't predict it because it's just so so difficult with them given the way that we elect presidents. Well, as we recall, yeah, it was before 2016, but uh, we know of third-party candidates here in the great state of Minnesota. Oh, yes, indeed. We certainly do. Who was uh, who uh, who was it? it? Was Norm Coleman and uh, was it Skip? Stuart Humphrey the third. Yeah, Skip. So and and they're 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 running they're, and Jesse comes out of nowhere and you know the great state of Minnesota does it. Eh. You know it's different than the uh, than the national uh, vote, but certainly uh, it can be done. And even if that doesn't occur, it may end up having an enormous effect on the ultimate winner. It certainly will have an enormous effect. We'll be right back after this uh, short break, and we're going to turn our attention to the seven years. And what's different uh, for the state of Israel then versus now? Uh... And boy, there are a number of things. Uh, the Abraham Accord certainly didn't exist back then and the peace uh, agreements. But uh, Barack Obama and the end of his term is still being felt in terms of his decisions. 2015, just before the seven-year anniversary, uh, the decisions by Barack Obama and Iran were felt. Be right back. Stay with us. Seven years ago, what were you doing? Hello, hello. We're back. It's the victory hour. Seven-year anniversary show today. Here with my good friend Dan Rosen, co-host of the first show and the first seven months of the show. Uh, as we were law partners in the Parker Rosen Hour with Politics Israel and the Law came to us in August, mid-August 2016. Here we are seven years later. Let's uh, turn our focus as we do with politics, Israel, and the law, to uh, Israel. And seven years ago. So, Danny, uh, remind us of uh, the end of Barack Obama's term toward the end of uh, 2016 uh, and his uh, great interest in doing good for the Jewish people and the state of Israel resulted in what policy decisions for him? Well, you know, at the very end of 2016, uh, Obama uh, departed from a long practice in the United Nations where the uh, United States uh, vetoed uh, anti, uh, any anti-Israel resolutions uh, in the Security Council. And, of course, there were many, many, many that were proposed uh, because Israel is the, is the designated punching bag 
of the United Nations. And not only did he, they depart from the policy of not vetoing, but they actually uh, supported. And, and although um, although uh, their, the, the official vote was an abstention, yep. it was broadly known that it was a resolution that the administration supported. And uh, the what the resolution did is it pretty much uh, declared an illegality uh, of Israel's presence, not only uh, in what is commonly known as the West Bank, but also in the areas uh, that had uh, been without any question uh, Jewish for long periods of time, specifically the Jewish quarter of the old city of Jerusalem, the Western Wall of the Jewish temple uh, places, you know, the Jewish quarter of the old city had been Jewish for generations. The only reason that there weren't Jews there for a 19-year period between 1948 and and, uh, and 1967 uh, is that uh, the Jordanian army captured it in war and massacred the Jews that they managed to catch. Um, And so, uh, but uh, the administration departed from that and, and decided I had to say that even the uh, even the Jewish quarter of the old city was an illegally uh, occupied territory by Israel. But, Andy, I have to tell you, it, it isn't really the specifics of the resolution, the specifics of the policy. That's the lesson to take from that. Barack Obama came into office and most of us suspected that his his sympathy was anti-Israel. Uh, but what he found over eight years as president, thankfully, is that it's very, very hard to be an anti-Israel leader in America, because America is an overwhelmingly pro-Israel country. Every poll shows overwhelmingly American people feel a strong affinity for Israel, overwhelmingly Americans support Israel, and that's reflected very, very strongly in Congress, uh, and the Congress is overwhelmingly uh, pro-Israel accordingly. And the uh, knowledgeable people uh, among in the diplomatic class. Some of them, you and I have had long discussions about their inadequacy for their job. <laughs> but even there, I mean, they, they, they by and large are not at all anti-Israel. And accordingly, it's very hard for an anti-Israel <laughs> president to execute on an anti-Israel policy. So going out. But Danny, no Danny, why do you why do you refer to Martin Indyk that way? I mean, you shouldn't you shouldn't really <laughs> treat Martin. That way. I mean, oh God. Uh, but, and so going out, he had an opportunity without caring about its political ramifications to stick it to Israel, and so he did. But the real lesson is how hard it is to do that in our system. And so we have to, I think everybody listening to this show needs to let all of their elected representatives know that they need to stay pro-Israel because Israel and America uh, have a common soul. That's right. And, And the grounding of why every poll shows that the American people back the state of Israel is because our values are the same. We come out of, as you say, the same soul, and people know it. They feel it. Whether they are educating themselves about it or not, they feel it. And they know that that is not the case uh, with those that hate and want to murder and want blood running in the streets, uh, like the terrorists who are supported by the biggest terrorist, uh, uh, the the supporter of terrorism in in the world, uh, the state of Iran. 
Speaking of Iran, Barack Obama also gave us the JCPOA. I don't really want to talk about the JCPOA, but he did that, um, you know, uh, just uh, in 2015. And so coming out of this, uh, let's turn to the to the state of Israel now. Comment on this, Danny. Do you think that Israel has veered to the right since 2016? And as the left would have you believe, particularly the Jewish right. community, frankly, in this country, uh, they so have given our, given the our very short time frame before the my attorney oh, yeah. Bernie is going to come on. I think I can answer that. You know, I, I don't actually think that the country has taken any strong veering in the last seven, seven years. It is generally a center right country. Um, personality politics in Israel run very strong. As a result of that, you do have a coalition uh, that is that may be considered the most to, to the right in history. I would dispute that, but there's a there is a good arguable case uh, that that's true. But, you know, uh, there are uh, parties that agree strongly on every policy. That's they stay out of the coalition. That's Dan, that's Dan Rosen. There he is. And what a show we've had. Thanks, Danny. Until next week. I love you all for being with us for seven years. Have a great week. Justice, honor, duty, mercy, and hope. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 